Hey, welcome to the Church on Boulevard Sermons Podcast, an extension of the ministry of Church on Boulevard in Richmond, Virginia. We hope that you'll find your time meaningful and that you'll learn to live life to the fullest as we grow together. All right, John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus did not trust them because he knew all people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, even now in this room together, you know our hearts and you know that we say a lot of things that we cannot live up to and that we make a lot of promises we cannot keep. And our human nature is not a surprise to you. And we're so grateful that you gave yourself for us anyway. I just pray that you would open up our eyes this morning to the ways that we can trust you more deeply. You would, I pray that your spirit would show us the ways that we think we trust you, but we don't actually. And that you would just strengthen our faith. We know that in the book of Hebrews, it says that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith, that you are the beginning point. You're the one who creates it and you're the one who ultimately perfects it, that we, we really don't have anything to do with it, Father. So we just pray that you would increase our faith, that you would increase our trust in you so that we can actually live our lives as though everything that you said about yourself is true and that what you say about us is true. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Healthy relationships are based on trust. In studying for today's message, I was actually confronted with my own weaknesses, my own holes in this area as it relates to trust. And specifically, as I thought about the parts of trust, it was really intimacy and protection that I struggle with. So even though I'm disqualified from giving you information and thoughts and application on trust, I am aware of what God can do. I'm aware and I have strong confidence that he has a framework. He has ideas revealed in his word. He has practical things for us to build, develop, maintain, protect, guard, and flourish in healthy, trusting relationships. And as you guys know, right now we're in a series called Crafting a Rule of Life. And I think that it's really important as we craft our approach to our daily life that we really think about Every human relationship we have, friends, kids, coworkers, siblings, parents, as it relates to trust, what is the level of trust that you have in those relationships? And are these relationships rooted in an unshakably trustworthy God? 
are these relationships firmly rooted in a God who is trustworthy? I have a gospel statement. It's on the handout that I just referred to. It's in the very bottom box, and it has my application statement, my gospel statement. It says, God frees me to trust my community, not because they are trustworthy, but because God is. This understanding and mindset is what gives us the permission to set some healthy boundaries with people based on trust. This message isn't one of those, hey, just trust everybody, give yourself away, you know? You shouldn't feel guilty about withholding. That's a huge part of trust. You can withhold time, treasure, your possessions, your feelings of security from certain folks who have proven that they don't deserve it. And they've proven to you and those you love that they cannot be trusted. They haven't earned that trust. As we see in the text, Jesus did not trust himself to them. Not even to those who had trusted in his name. Said another way, Jesus had no faith in their faith. He didn't trust them. God knows everything. He's omniscient. He penetrates our thoughts. We serve a God who can discern our character. He sees the meaning and the reason why you believe in him. He knows your faith. He knows your idiosyncrasies. He knows the burdens that you carry. And he knows the real passions that drive you, that consume you that motivate your actions, regardless of how it might look to the rest of us. He knows it all. Quirks, your special gifts, what you majored in in college and how much you hated it. The class where you got that C and you're so grateful that you passed. You know, he knows it all. So he doesn't just have a general knowledge of human nature, which he definitely does. He actually has thought about you more than you've thought about you. This is part of why we need therapy. This is part of what makes him a wonderful counselor because he's thought through the wrinkles, flaps, and crevices of your psyche. He knit you together, your mother's womb. He's been there every day when you didn't believe and for those of us who do. He knows you. That's very important because even though he knows us, he cannot trust us. Or said another way, because God knows us so well, he cannot trust us. The prophet Jeremiah said it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The Bible answer is Jesus. Jesus can understand it. And that's the very danger. Jesus's ability to know every human heart perfectly should be a little bit unsettling. He sees beyond the veneer and the makeup. And what it tells us is that some belief is not the kind of belief that obtains fellowship with God. There are some sources of faith in hell. There is some faith that equals damnation. Not all types of faith are salvific. 
As it says in Matthew 7, some will come and say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, but I didn't know you. You think you knew me, but I didn't know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And so I have lots of examples of this. I'll just give one for our time together. There's some people who are like me who believe in God because of the things that we've seen, our personal encounters, and our experiences. Some of us in here have witnessed miracles. I know for my part, I've witnessed demons being cast out of a person. I've seen healings happen. I know people and have heard from those people about instantaneous deliverance from addictions, serious multi-year addictions gone through prayer, confession, anointing with oil. But this cannot be the foundation of my faith. Witnessing those things aren't the reason why I'm a Christian. This type of faith alone is still works-based faith but it's based on God's works, so we think it's okay. But even that is a danger. Are you hearing me, church? Even basing your faith around the works of God that are personal and continuous in your life is not sufficient to save your soul. Why? Because it is the finished work of Jesus that saves. Amen? Amen. It is the finished work. As my brother said, it's the virgin birth, It's the sinless life that he lived in our place that we could not live. It's the wrath of God crushing him on the cross. It's the bodily resurrection, the empty tomb, the banquet table of heaven. These are the glorious truths that we confess and we continue to remind ourselves of because they're salvific. And they're not limited to my experience or yours. They're really an anchoring plumb line of all salvific faith, regardless of culture, ethnicity, race, gender, regardless of class, regardless of when you lived or where, this is our salvation, and it is beautiful in our eyes. So to build a relationship with God solely based on your testimony and what he's done for me, it can actually have the unintended consequence of closing us off from knowing the nature of God. Some people, if you've grown up in church like me, you've heard of people saying, you seek God's hand instead of his face. You wanna know what can God do for me? And your prayer life becomes a lot of asking. And if God doesn't do what you need him to do, you're crushed. Why? Because my faith is built upon the works of God and he works for me. And if he doesn't work, then what are we exporting around the world? A lot of missions is, hey, trust in this God and he can make your life better. He can conform you to be more like me. There's no saving power there. Changing the way people dress, giving them buildings, building a well. There's no salvation there. It's truly pointing to what he has done for us. And so while many of us would say, and many of the people you know would say, I believe in Jesus, as Drew indicated last week when he was speaking of greed, I think the better question is, does Jesus 
believe in me. So trust is among the greatest intangible gifts that we can both offer and receive from another person. Alongside, this is my perspective, you might have other ones. For me, it's like loyalty, acceptance, and love are really big gifts that we can receive from another person. We cannot have a relationship without love. Love is at the center of any relationship that's worthy of our investment of trust. Love is our identity as Christians. You will be known by your love for one another. Love undergirds our dignity as humanity, as a species. It sets us apart in a really special way, the type of love that we share one to another. And love is the thing that gives us value with the Lord. (laughs) It's because he first loved us, because God so loved that he gave. And so trust then is one essential way that we grow love into a blossoming and fruitful vine. Love is the way that we show, our trust is a way that we show up to love. And so contrary, right, if you break someone's trust, you compromise the love that binds you. You betray something very sacred. You uproot the vine of love, instantly killing the fruit in perhaps even a single betrayal. And that's why it can be very difficult with that friend in college who you burnt the bridge with, with that person, with that parent, you can have to feel like, man, I have to start all over with brand new seeds and I have no seeds. <laughs> or I have to take this plant that's now withering or dried out and I have to try to somehow get it back into the ground and nourish it. And I don't, people have said, I don't have the time. This person requires too much energy because you don't trust them. You don't trust that the outcome will be profitable, will be fruitful, or that love is worth pursuing with that person. And that might very well be true. John Gottman, a professor at the University of Washington, has done quite a bit of clinical research around this idea of trust. So according to Dr. Gottman, trust is built when we observe actions that let us know another person is for me at some cost to themselves. Notice the two components there. One person is acting or doing, and the other person is recognizing it, recognizing the effort and the actions. Both are equally important and necessary to build trust. Conversely, if this is lacking, if I'm acting and you're not actually recognizing that, or if what you recognize me doing, I'm actually not doing, that's where deception and all types of issues can obviously begin to build up. So with the handout that I gave you, under the thought exercise, you'll see a chart. And this chart has three modes for cultivating trust with real people who, as Jesus would tell you, are not worthy of trust. But there's three things that we can do as we root ourselves in the trustworthy one, as we root ourselves in the trustworthy God who sends us out to a broken world in a dark and dreary land where there is no water, we come and we're filled up with an 
unending stream, right? He's the well that never runs dry. So how do we carry this water to the people who need it? We can do it face-to-face. That's number one, face-to-face intimacy. We can do it back-to-back through a back-to-back partnership like warriors, or we can do it side-by-side, walking side-by-side with my friend in the coolness of the day. I give credit to Zach Howard. He's an assistant professor of theology and humanity at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minnesota. He's the first person that introduced this framework to me, and it really resonated. And so I commend that to you today. Each of these three is listed on your paper in the left-hand column, and I want you to define them there in your own words, in words that make sense to you. And then in the right kind of longer rectangular column, try to notate specific people that God puts on your heart, trust that inclination, or specific actions, small, big, whatever God puts on you this week, okay? And try not to pour acid on that or put the fire out thinking that it's improbable, thinking that your schedule's a little bit full or your calendar is full. Receive, receive, hear, write them down, And then you can go through them later, maybe with someone that you trust, that you care about, and you guys can figure out what you could actually do to build trust this week. Okay, so number one is face-to-face intimacy. I struggle with intimacy. I suck at it. Okay, here we go. Intimacy is about knowledge, closeness, and acceptance. Face-to-face trust grows as we know and are known by one another. This happens when we go out for coffee or tacos or whatever your favorite food is. Intimacy happens when someone asks for prayer and then we actually pray together or worship and sing together. There's real intimacy there. I'm struck by Paige when she came up here and said, on her routine walk, she heard from God. That's face-to-face intimacy. Having a quiet time, a prayer time, a prayer closet, listening to worship music and singing along, and God warms your heart, that's face-to-face closeness. C.S. Lewis had a friend named Sheldon Van Auken who wrote a book titled A Severe Mercy, and it's an autobiography of the love he shared with his wife. And there's one quote from that book I want to share. It says, To be in love as to see beauty is a kind of adorning that turns the lover away from self. Face-to-face intimacy is beholding other people, truly seeing them, and they can recognize that you see them. They feel seen by you, And that's a positive sensation within them. Looking up, looking out to others, truly acknowledging and recognizing them. Who in your life needs this? That's what we want to think about. How can you offer intimacy in a way that's appropriate for different relationships, coworkers, friends, parents? It's all going to be different. We acknowledge that. Who needs this? How can you bring it to them in a way that they can receive it? 
So in an effort to be helpful to you here, I'll just give one of the things that I'm going to try as I get back into the school year as a teacher. So for teachers, you work on a bell system, and you have certain places you have to be at every single one of these bells. And so some teachers are what we call talkers. They waste your time. You go to the faculty room, and they just go on and on and on. You're like, man, I'm trying to grade stuff. I'm trying to, you know, me, 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 me. And you can feel selfish and guilty for cutting these people off. So for me, to show better intimacy, and maybe you have a coworker who's kind of like a talker or a jar, I'm going to try in my context to not have those conversations with the person there, but to also not avoid sitting with them in the cafeteria. Because we actually have a lunch block, and because I don't like this person and they make me uncomfortable, I'm going to sit with people I like. But maybe something I can do once a month, doesn't have to be a lot, maybe I sit with that person because clearly they want to talk to me, and I can pay attention and engage with them and the other teachers who are closer to them. And I think that would build a more healthy intimacy than me sitting with them for 20 minutes, seething and frustrated and feeling like they're wasting my time. So that's one way I might try to get face-to-face -face with someone who, frankly, makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Back-to-back -back partnership. That's number two, back-to-back -back partnership. When we know each other's strengths and weaknesses, we have to actually guard and protect each other. This is exactly what Drew and Paige sought to do as they were founding the Seedling Church. They brought a lot of the core people together, and they had us do different assessments where we could learn about our strengths, our spiritual gifts, our personality types, etc. Because they know human nature is we all have blind spots. That's why the hand can't say to the eye, I have no need of you, and the eye can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. We are all knit together as one body in Christ. We need one another. And so how do we share our weaknesses, our gifts, our strengths, and what we bring to this space together? I think the more we commit to one another as Church on Boulevard, this is going to be a thing, back-to-back -back partnership for the sake of the gospel in Scots of Ditchin, Richmond, and beyond. Because remember, it is a warfare that we're in in this Christian life. Satan crouches prowling around like a roaring lion. Sin is waiting at the door, and it's seeking to devour the very body of Christ, if it were possible to lead astray even the elect. And so I've joked in the past about us being a superhero team. We have all the different gifts and all the you know, awesome people and everything. But I think that that's actually true in a real spiritual sense, that around us even now, spiritually, enemies, are circling, and they would love to see us make shipwreck, give up, fail. And therefore, we actually have to strategize and be intentional about how we partner together and do life together, turning back to back, trusting one another to call out threats, to shout encouragements, we have to submit to one another's perspective because if I'm facing this way and you're facing that way, I cannot see what you see. And so do I trust you to have my six? Do I trust you to have my back? This is the boastful statement. 
Mm-hmm. But I think this is where my marriage thrives, I would say. I'll put that out there. I think this is where my marriage thrives. Me and Tiff have a really good way of celebrating the small victories in the minute milestones that we never kind of share abroad with the greater people. And I think I intuitively trust Tiff's discernment. I don't always obey her discernment, (laughs) and I have bruises and scars from that. But I think there is a deep thing where it's like, man, this person's probably right. But then I continue with that friendship, or I don't want to cancel that coffee date or going to pho with that person. And Tiff's like, you know, giving me her perspective. But I lean on my own understanding instead right? And so part of leaning on Christ's understanding, he gives us grace through other people who can really see our blind spots, insecurities, and weaknesses. But to what degree do you trust them? And how do you build that up, right? Trust is built in battle. That's the idea here. As we recognize and protect each other, we actually reap this fruit called stability, long-suffering, and endurance. As Christians, we become more resilient and battle-hardened, and that's a value for the church. And so in your life, who needs tough love? That's the question. Who needs your rebuke? Who's rebuking you? You need to have these types of dynamics in the relationships you have in order to go deeper in order to be more rooted in a trustworthy God who is definitely honest with you. As you heard Drew, God will tell you about yourself and he will give you the bad news because he loves you. And he's also the solution to that. And so think about that, right? Who do you need to partner with? Whose six are you guarding And how can you serve them in a way where you guys will actually develop grit and long-suffering and resilience in your Christian faith? So there's a famous TV show that I do not watch, but a friend told me about it. It's called Hoarders. Have you guys seen this stuff? (laughs) Apparently there's people who's like whole homes and storage facilities and their person's home, like they fill it up with all of this stuff. Some of it might be extremely valuable. Some of it might literally be trash and things like this in their kitchen and everywhere. How does someone get to be in that condition? Through damaging patterns. And usually what happens on the show is that this person's being confronted There's like a group of family members or this person's children and things like that who love them and care. And on national TV or syndicated television or whatever you call this thing, they're coming together and they're confronting this person. And it's like, mom, we have to clean this up. We have to clean this out. And it's a very emotional experience for many of these people, so I'm told. I think that is so indicative of what we're talking about when we talk about back-to-back partnership. How many people you know just have a little bad habit and you know you can't say anything because then you're nagging them, you're pestering them, but what will their life look like 20 years from now? I'm sure this wasn't the first time someone said something to the hoarder, and if they didn't, that's even worse 
They just kind of let them go. And then on national TV, they finally bring this up and have the person slam into the wall. And so what do we do to keep people on the narrow path? It says the road to destruction is wide, but the road that leads to life is narrow and few find it. And so as we try to actually walk in the way of Jesus, it's a narrow tightrope. And so how do we keep one another balanced in this thing? Or we just let people lean to the right, lean to the left, and we just kind of let people live their own lives. This is what we have to do in terms of partnership. So as you're thinking about who to talk to, who is the person with that micro pattern that's probably pretty damaging, and you see it, and they really might not? How can you approach them in love so that when you bring up this sensitive issue, they don't automatically shut down and write you off? and you lose all authority and position in their life. It's a grace. It's a spiritual gift to be able to shepherd and come around someone to help them follow after Christ. The last one, the third one, is called side-by-side friendship. As we pursue a common vision or a rule of life, we cultivate our trust side-by-side. Friendships form often through mutual interests, mutual delights. We both enjoy this thing. Trust grows as we kind of engage in something that's outside of just the friendship. I know for me and many of my good friends, it orbits around music. I like particular types of music. I enjoy creating music, and they do too. And so the friendship can kind of build right around that thing. Many of you in here might think of me as a friend to you, maybe. I'll put myself out there and just say that with vulnerability. But two to three years ago, you had no idea I even existed. Further, most of what you guys know about me is just like church on boulevard stuff. But you trust me to some degree. You trust me to preach. You might trust me to pray. You might welcome my family We might have shared a meal together, and I'm really grateful for our friendship. And I'm really hopeful that these friendships can grow. Some of you who have been around me for a little while, you know that me and my wife like to host. It's like a guaranteed sense of joy. We invite people over, and our marriage becomes better. And many of you in this room are the reason why that is. I know for Drew and Paige, we see their friendship when they lead worship. They come up, they lead worship, and you see that friendship. They're delighting in something that's kind of outside or greater than each individual and their kind of potential quirks. Others of you have a hiking buddy. Some of you have a drinking buddy. And all of us love going to the beach or something like this, right? These are some of the things, some of the places where we walk side by side with other people. I think friendship is a strength of this church. But I think with that, you have to be very careful because I also think if one or two friendships sour or went south, this church would be in grave danger. Part of it's because we're so small. Part of it's because we're so new. And so we really need to pay careful attention to the trust or lack thereof that we have with one another, even in this room, is the point that I want to make there. 
And so even right there, I can just pray. You can pray with me. Lord, we just ask you for an abundance of loyalty in a mature trust that's authentic. God, would you put a hedge of protection around Church on Boulevard that it might be a safe space where we can be honest, intimate, and trusting of one another. God, we trust you to create that atmosphere that we might delight in what you're doing here, putting us on mission with your intent for this church, and that we might delight in one another because we are a beautiful, royal priesthood, a holy nation being built up into Christ who is the head of our body. In Jesus' name, amen. The thing about the role of friendship, I want you to think about that on your chart. This is the last box there. Take a moment, think about it. When you think about your cousins or your parents or your coworkers, what does friendship look like for you? I really challenge you to probably think of someone that you wouldn't call a friend but think about the element or the idea of coming alongside someone as a friend and really think about what could that look like? Who is that person in your life who needs you to be a better friend, if you are honest? Or who do you need where it's like, man, I don't see how it's possible, but I really wish I could have this friendship back. I need restoration of a friend. We all recognize the gravity and the seriousness of this topic. But if you don't find the authentic conversation here, which we very well might not, or even if you do, I want you to take it with you, you know, and find those people in your life who you could have the conversation with and please have it. That is a perfect next step of application and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life for the sake of love, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of building trust, and maybe even healing you so that you can trust again. Thanks for tuning in to the Church on Boulevard Sermons podcast. You can find out more about Church on Boulevard by going to www.churchonblvd.com.